Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. I have a very special guest who's returning. Andy, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? It's been a long time. I know. Do you know what? Hannah's question for the podcast this week was, in capitals, how is Andy? Still alive. It's always a bonus. She was also (laughs) wondering how you managed to catch COVID while like in where are you again the borders yeah apparently it's got the highest rate in scotland though oh my god yeah mm-hmm. so yeah that's a bit of a bit of a strange but who knows mm-hmm. but i don't know i managed to I managed to steer clear of most people to be fair i hadn't been out in like the two weeks so it must have just Very been a, weird a, it's got that incubation yeah. period doesn't it yeah but it was like it's really weird because like all the all the symptoms that i had have not said there's been like very few other people have had those symptoms i actually thought i had actually got taken in the hospital because they thought i had appendicitis so oh and have like like, uh, have laura's parents had it and stuff as well then uh, no no no, nobody else just myself so that's weird that no one's caught it from you yeah i know that's a strange one but i'm feeling much better now which is a bonus Hmm. it's uh yeah it's the worst i felt like that's pretty horrible got um ended up having like rigors so like nearly off like close to on seizures um because i was so hot but i was freezing like i was so cold but i was like sweating um and i was like ended up having like so it was like virtually like cramping because my body was just like in proper proper meltdown so yeah that was fun uh very interesting lovely (laughs) okay so it's lovely to have you back i've missed you I've missed you too. Aww. I've missed the chats. Missed the chats. Missed the chats. Right, we have many questions for you. So Ooh, here's here the go. first one. I'm currently, this is from Instagram actually. I'm currently training for a fat loss phase. I'm in a deficit. Good, I would hope so. I'm not overweight <laughs> by any means and I'm quite petite, but I'm curious to see what I can achieve. Um, I'm... I'm active, but would like to get stronger once fat loss is over, but without gaining too much weight. What is the best way to transition transition, transition into that? Um, really getting your head into the position where you're ready to start putting, getting some strength, um, and then a slow settle up at maintenance for a wee while just to see what your how your strength uh, works and then potentially put you into a, a, a slight calorie surplus to get some strength to get your strength up so you've got a bit more energy but um it's a lot of it's about get switching that headset from weight loss to putting them some strength is always the tough bit mm-hmm. yeah i think she's doing the right thing at the moment because now it's quite you can lose fat at any time really like it's about creating the deficit and it's about stimulating your muscle enough to at least maintain it which you can very easily do at home now building strength like real strength at home is definitely doable but it's going to be quite a lot harder so it would be easier to build strength if we had the gyms open so hopefully Mm, by that time that she'll have more access to resistance training equipment yeah i think um this is a time where people need to start probably reevaluating quite a lot of stuff when it comes to their training and their nutrition. It's quite a good time to do it. As you say, we're doing a lot of everybody's doing training at home. It's very it's a small amount of size or size and strength that you can put on when you're at home. 
unless you've got a fully kitted out gym. Um, it's a good time to start reevaluating what your goals are and what you want to do. So, you know, sitting down, you know, potentially we may have another three weeks, could be another four weeks till the gyms are back open. We just don't know. But it gives you a bit of time to start thinking about what comes next. So what's the next what's the next phase of training going to involve? Is it sticking with weight loss? Is it going to set a maintenance phase for a while just to see where you are? Or is it flip it up and get yourself into a circle? Uh, a calorie surplus and let's see what we can do with strength and size it's a quite a good time to start start thinking about these things and evaluating what it is that you want to do yeah i think as well that this is quite a tough one because people are always like okay so i need to be in a deficit to lose fat and then i'll be in a surplus to build muscle sorted and then that's fine it's not quite that simple and it's really even not as easy as saying oh it depends where on your journey you are like if you quite new to exercise you can probably lose fat and build muscle at the same time that is true but that can often happen later on down the line as well and it it often depends so in the nicest possible way like you'll see people who are lean ish like lean for general population let's say and they're like oh i need to be in a surplus to build muscle and you really don't or you need to be sitting around maintenance and actually you've still got quite a lot of body fat store so you're not gonna need a hell of a lot more and actually staying quite lean is going to be better for the signaling and your muscles are going to be more um insulin sensitive and and sensitive to the stimulus of growth than if you are carrying quite a lot of body fat so i think that is something people get a bit tripped up on very much so okay next question are you ready let's do it uh, when I was training in the gym, I would split my week into upper and lower body workouts. Now I am following the wads. <laughs> That's CrossFit term for workouts of the day. And training full body more regularly. I was wondering if it's, if when it comes to building muscle, how training, how training your body full time six days a week compares to dedicating sessions. So like upper, lower or um, body part sessions. Um, I'd always say it just depends how it fits into your a your week and into your lifestyle and stuff and your enjoyment. Um, I've actually decided like that's part of the thing I was just saying in the last question about setting up about what comes next. I think I'm going to do like a six week phase of full body training. Um, not a huge fan of it, but it's something that I'm going to have a wee look at because there are a few guys that have been doing that kind of stuff recently. So, um having a look at that kind of stuff but yeah i would always say it depends on where it sits into your week how you're and also getting the frequency of body part training as well the only problem is if you're doing what like you're doing six sessions a week and you're dedicating a muscle group to a body set up to one day is that you're not going to get the same stimulus it's not going to be the stimulus isn't going to happen um quick enough so if you're doing arms on it or you're doing legs on a monday and you don't train them to monday the following week you're you're not got the stimulus to be able to force uh, adaptation because it's there's not there's too much time for it to recover mm-hmm. or i mean you probably are getting the stimulus to force adaptations but it could be done in a more efficient way as in you or yeah. you you've got the opportunity that between that you will be fully recovered maybe three days after training legs and then you could train legs again and then you yep. would build muscle quicker. So it, it's a little bit harder to do that at home. So obviously you can't, it's much harder to apply the same stimulus to that muscle. So it won't need a, the same amount of recovery time to then adapt to that. 
so doing full body workouts is pretty good because a lot of the time we're actually looking more at maintaining muscle Mm. um and it's i think i'm finding this quite hard at the moment because there's such a variety of people and, and at the moment for some people being um or doing bodyweight workouts will mean that they can build muscle. And for some people, it will mean that they're maintaining muscle. And that probably is quite a lot to do with training age and how much your body weight is compared. Like, let's say, let's say, for example, this is probably an easy example. If you're someone who can like rep out 50 push-ups in a row, doing bodyweight training at home often is probably going to maintain your muscle because you need maybe a bit more stimulus in order to push it out of its comfort zone and create that stimulus for change. Whereas if you're someone who's struggling to do five push-ups in a row, you really don't need the gym because you've got enough weight in your body to stimulate those muscles much more quickly. Um, I think that makes sense. I hope that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Next question from Leanne. Are your hunger cues a good indicator of what your body needs with respect to calorie targets? Oh, this is good. Thoughts? Um, I would probably say no for me, um, mainly because I'm a boredom eater. Um, if I'm not doing stuff, I'll get hungry, and that's got nothing to do with my calories. I, I could overshoot my calories quite easily. Um but it depends on how switched on you are and how clued in you are with yourself. Um, so a lot of people will be able to work that and will be able to um, to work that kind of stuff. But I think it'll, it's very much an it's very much depends on the person. Yeah, it is, and I think especially when you are either first starting to diet or if you're dieting, really you want to eat to a little bit less than your hunger signals. Like, let's assume your hunger signals were actually accurate of what your body demands. You'd want to eat to a little bit less of that. There are numerous reasons that hunger isn't a good indication of what your body needs. I think the situation where it has been shown to work is, I mean, the studies like this have to be done in mice or animal models anyway, but mainly because we can't control humans to the same extent. But if you put a mouse in a cage and you feed it with highly... um, palatable food so nice tasting food it will overeat if you put a mouse in a cage and you feed it with like gruel they call it chow basically just i would i would say it's probably like just eating plain porridge made of water for humans they're not going to overeat that like nobody is overeating plain water porridge um so that's that's one reason is that because uh we have such highly palatable foods like we we end up eating beyond our needs yeah but the other reasons would be if you are overweight and have been for a while um you you can become resistant to some of the hormones that stimulate hunger so two of the primary ones are leptin and insulin so one of insulin's roles many roles in the body but one of its roles is to turn off hunger so insulin normally is present when you have high glucose levels which means that there is an abundance of food available already thus you don't need to eat food let's turn off hunger but when you become insulin resistant this is what happens in type 2 diabetes your tissues become less sensitive to the presence of insulin which means that 
when insulin's there and it's saying, oh, look, we've got a lot of food, let's turn off hunger, your tissues can't hear that and thus keep hunger levels high and then you keep eating and that's how people, that's, well, it's not exactly how people get overweight, but it's one of the many reasons that people get overweight. So to answer your questions, those would be my reasons no, but my reasons yes, and, and also like Andy makes a brilliant point, like we don't just eat for satiety, we also eat to um because we're bored because we're sad because we're happy because it's a social occasion we're not always eating for physiological needs but the reason I would say yes is because okay well actually so the way that Amelia would probably answer this I will say she's very much about getting her clients in tune with their hunger signals so you can learn to do this but it takes a hell of a lot of training and you have to be very self-aware and it's about reflecting every time you want to eat something. It's, you know, am I hungry? How hungry am I? Is this a good option? Um, stopping when you're full. So Amelia's very good at... I, I feel like I'm obsessed with this story about her, but it's just a really good example that we all went on holiday together and she bought some donuts and she just ate like one bite of a donut one day, one bite the next day or like one quarter and then just threw the rest away. And I'm someone who will like finish, I think we're all sort of predisposed to this a little bit is you'll finish your serving or when you're dieting, you'll finish what you've allocated on my fitness pal to eat and you forget to think about yeah. hunger. So you might be full three quarters of the way through your meal, but you're like, oh, well, this is what I had put in my fitness pal, so I'm gonna eat it. Or equally, you might eat your full meal still not still feel pretty hungry and just think oh well that's the calories I'm on so I'm not going to eat anymore um it's very hard to be in tune with your hunger I think you can get there I think it takes quite a lot of work and I think it would be I mean it's not something you would probably want to do when you're dieting because you want to be a little bit hungry when you diet so that Mm, that that would be my answer um a good answer Oh, I thank you. Next question. Resting heart rate. What is recognized as good slash healthy? And at what rate are we aiming for in a session? I realize this depends on the aim of the session. Do you want to start with that? I can see Heart rate is one of these but... really difficult ones. You love it's, this question. Again, it's... Yeah, it's, it's one of those real weird ones where, like for me to get my heart rate up i have to do an awful lot because my heart rate sets really low so i have a resting heart rate although i don't do that much cardio my resting heart rate is generally around about 45 40 to 45 beats a minute um and to try to get it switched up and put it into like over 100 i really need to be pushing hard um i don't know why as I say, I don't really do that much cardiovascular stuff. I, I lift quite a lot of heavy weights, which is obviously going to help train your heart to be stronger, to, to work harder. Um, and I've always had quite a good recovery as well. So I think I probably put it down to that. So heart rate for me is one of those ones that if you're doing your PT, they put a lot of emphasis on getting people into different zones, whether it be aerobic zone, fat burning. I have that to be fair. I don't really think it matters that much. It's not... Yeah. It doesn't I really think, make um, that. Rate of perceived exertion is probably a better thing. Like I've never hugely yeah. looked at heart rate. You can look at heart rate zones. I think the only 
time that I looked at it and found it useful was when I was training for rowing and we would try and equate so it's quite hard to find your lactate threshold which is the point at which after which you would start accumulating lactate so as soon as you start exercising one of the byproducts of breaking down carbohydrate for energy is lactate and that starts to accumulate but when you're at a level that you can also clear that byproduct by pumping oxygen around your body in blood um, and taking away that byproduct then you'll keep clearing it so you're absolutely fine when you reach a point where you'll know this as well it's like when you're running and you start feeling like really heavy lactic legs that are like burning at that point you know that you've gone over your lactate threshold so that's at a point that you could not continue exercising at that time yeah i think sorry yeah i think rate of of perceived exertion is probably the best way to look at it for certainly Mm. for general joe joe public um you know, it depends on how you do it. You know, a lot of folk use a one to five scale. A lot of folk use a one to ten scale. One being, can you feel that? It's not doing anything. Ten is, I'm going to die. Um, yeah. And that's probably a better, yeah, a better and I judge think... of how hard you're working. Oh, definitely a better judge it's also of easy. how hard you're working. Yeah, much easier. I think the only time that, that it was useful was that identifying that critical point where you start accumulating more lactate and then trying. Yeah. So the best athletes will will be able to maintain like just below that level. And that's like yeah. the optimal thing. So any sort of any kind of endurance sport will want to maintain just below that. So that's quite interesting. But when you're just training, no need for that at all. My only issue with perceived exertion is some people will be like oh my god it's a 10 i need to stop and i'm like you can still speak so it's not a 10 and then other people will be like crying trying to continue and i'm like whoa it's a 10 like you need to stop so it's hard to know yeah yeah please stop i'm a little bit worried about this so some people will have a much um higher sort of pain threshold or higher expectation of how hard exercise is or can be than other people um so we didn't really answer that question although i guess we do answer it as in i am not particularly looking at what heart rate you're at during a session i just want you to work hard yeah and it would be quite off-putting if you were like oh i need to keep my heart rate between these zones well, imagine trying to actually enforce that during a training session. You know? That's mm-hmm. going to be really tough. What are you going to do? I'm going to have to drop back a little bit on my my, my pace now. Yeah. That's not, that's not, very few people, if you can push it, push it harder, you don't drop the pace. Unless, you, oh, unless of course, as, as you say, something like an athlete who's working on pacing themselves for a marathon or, you know, these kind of things. But, again, trying to, trying to monitor this stuff as a general Joe Bloggs, it's very difficult. You mm-hmm. don't have the kit to do it, so it's it's kind of out. It's out with your out with something that you could control. So don't don't stress about it. Yeah, the the other time that actually looking at heart rate was quite interesting and quite useful was your heart rate zones do sort of um, estimate at least how hard you're working. So we used to have everyone wear heart rate monitors and then do like um, a spin class basically. But what was quite interesting about that is you could see how hard everyone was working. So you could see if someone wasn't pulling their weight 
and it's yep. related to you. So it's not like, oh, I'm lifting more than you or I'm running faster than you. It's yeah, we're working at the same relative intensity, which is quite a cool tool. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Situation. Um, why have I written that? I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore that. So this is from Helen. She says, "Do you have any advice for keeping step count up over the next week? The weather looks like it's going to be rubbish, and steps come largely from going out for a walk, which is going to be tricky in the rain. Or is it just a case of put a coat on and get over it?" Andy, I think I know your response. Skin is waterproof. Only your clothes are going to get wet. Nah, it's it's one of those ones. If you you know, there are certain things that you can do in the house. If you've got a set of stairs, walk up and down the stairs. It can be a bit monotonous. But to be fair, I actually like walking in the rain, weirdly enough. The dog hates no it. No one she can cannot, see you she crying. Exactly. The dog walks to the door, looks at the door, looks at the door and then just to say, I'm I'm not interested in going out. Whereas, so I have to force it out. But I actually quite enjoy walking in the rain. It's 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 quite relaxing. It's the sort of sound, the noise and stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, I would say... When it's raining, suck it up, get a cl- get your jacket on, get it in the rain. Yeah, I would agree. Like, And also, it's going to do you such good to just get out and get some fresh air, even if it is raining. And the alternative is really walking around your flat. Or, actually, do, if you enjoy sort of step classes, I do not enjoy these things. But if you do, then maybe crack one of them on and just like do some step aerobics or something that that would be one way of getting your steps up Andy's always I, doing that do you do you want to just schedule a live for you to do that in the group this week well, that's that's probably, one, that's probably one of the things you might not know about me is I'm, I'm a qualified aerobics instructor oh okay so what what do we think did, what day would suit weekend definitely not for me <laughs> I cannot I imagine you being like come on ladies it was um, it was quite funny actually. It's one of my one of a guy I ended up working with as a PT um, was one of my was my lecturer at college. And Mark is Mark is like one of the smartest guys I know. Like he just he does he delivers a course where they like dissect bodies so that they can look at fascia and stuff like that and how it all reacts etc. But he did he was my um, exercise to music. Um, instructor at college and he's the funniest guy ever because he turned up at the class and it was me and my, my best mate Liam who, who I went to college with we're standing looking in the window and there was like me and Liam and like 20 females and we were just standing <laughs> in the window going we've decided to do this class and then Mark then all we heard from behind us was do you gentlemen wish to either go in the class or please leave and stop perving in the window and we were both like we're actually in this class, so it was ended up being Liam and like twenty females in this class. It was great fun. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. Okay, Hi, second so, part yeah. of this question: How much of an impact do hormones hormones play in weight loss? For context, I weigh myself once a week, and this week I have put on, although only slightly, but I wondered if it had been disturbed by sleep, such increased stress levels, um, or if it may have been hormones that have been the reason sorry that was a really I'll let, you, I'll let you shoot um, i'll let you jump on the horse on this one first okay um yes massively and actually something i've realized much more recently like a huge huge effect and for some women you'll will have basically no effect which is absolutely fine some women will 
have little effect and even a little effect can completely mask weight loss for that week and for some women it's quite a large effect and that can mask weight loss for like two weeks or sorry can't mask weight loss it masks fat loss but yeah I wouldn't underestimate the amount that can have not just on I mean and I'm talking about purely sort of water retention on the scales at the moment but on your mood, on your exercise intensity, on your neat levels, your steps, on how easy it is to stick to your diet, on your sleep, everything. So yes, is my short answer to that. Yeah, um, that's a pretty succinct answer to be fair. And it's, um, it is exactly that. It's It can be affected by all that and I think, um, especially at a time at the moment where everybody seems to be stressing a lot, obviously hormones are going to be rattling around something mental. And also things like stress don't allow, or a lot of people find that the first thing that happens when they stress is they don't sleep very well. So, you know, hormone hormone patterns are going to start to flow out a wee bit because of things like that. So try to stay as relaxed as you can. It's a difficult time, we know. It's hard to try and decide what's going on because nobody really knows. But... As we always say, control what you can't. Don't stress about what you can't. Agreed. Um, I think this next question is slightly on that topic, so I'll, I'll continue. So this is from Janet. It says, a few questions above. Whoops, that was from the... Um, sorry, I've not pre-read the questions this week, so I am <laughs> reading as we go. Oh, okay, here it is. Uh, why is it only that protein... Why is it only protein that is tracked and not the number of carbs and fats? Or is it just controlled through the caps number of calories each person is advised to have? Do you want to go? Um, well, protein, when you're setting up a diet, protein's always the number one, the number one macro to get in there because it's going to help, help you maintain, help you repair, recover muscle. Um, carbohydrates and fats are used generally as fuel. So getting they, they don't really have as big a, an impact and it's about really how finding out where it sits for you and what you decide to take in. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's been studies done showing that it doesn't matter if you create a calorie deficit on low carbohydrates or on low fats. So, and, and if that doesn't make any difference, it kind of means that for fat loss, we obviously know that protein is important to maintain your muscle mass and also to reduce hunger. But also, it doesn't hugely matter how many carbs or fats that you have. And, and we don't promote you to go low carb, like low carb is like under 50 grams, which is which basically means no fruit that day and very little veg um, or yep. low fat because some fat is essential. So somewhere in the middle is fine. It's absolutely fine to have days that are higher in fat or days that are higher in carbs. And basically one of the reasons, apart from the fact that it's actually better to have variety, but one of the reasons we don't set you targets for each of them is that it's really hard to hit all three targets and stay within your calories. And especially if you're wasting energy trying to hit um, fat and carbohydrate targets that you don't need to hit. And it's just your you your concentration energy and focus could be put in much um in much uh what am i thinking about in much better places let's just say that where you'll get yeah. more bang for your buck 
In fact, well, I, think- I want to briefly touch on this. I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Andy. So I had a client start this week um, and she said that she had actually expected a bit more, quote unquote, evidence-based nutritional practices. And mm-hmm. she said, you've not really changed my diet at all. And I get, like, I 100% get what she means because I hadn't changed her diet very much purely because she was already doing, like, basically exactly what I wanted her to do. Yeah. Um, and it would be completely unethical and I would never do anyway just to be like, oh, okay, what we're going to do is completely change up. Even though I knew that that was what she wanted you know, like, because yeah. then you'd feel like you've paid for something and I could come up with all these ridiculous rules to stick to, which would work, but there is no need for. Yeah. So that was the sort of a bit of a conundrum this week. Well, a conundrum because I would have never done that. But I think it was just, I I get where clients are coming from when they think, oh, I, I kind of thought you'd change everything and, and they yeah. kind of almost want that. Have you had that? Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, I've had quite a few clients like that that they, they think that you're going to totally reinvent the wheel when in actual fact, all that really needed needs to happen is that you just need to tinker a few wee bits and pieces. Like, the the biggest problem with, like, completely changing somebody's diet or training, like, like head, to t- head to toe, is, is that they're already in a set routine that's working for them. And if you're then going to completely upend that to put them into a new routine, it's going to take time for them to get into that. So making small changes here and there and maybe eventually getting to where you would like them to be, but by implementing smaller changes as you go so that things aren't as drastic and they don't, they're not stressing because they're out of routine, etc., makes it easier for the client to sort of adhere to the plan. Um, but there are, you know, the number of clients, you know, that you'll have dealt with over the years and myself, you know, a lot of clients do experience think that you're going to like you're 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 going to give them something that's like groundbreaking and unfortunately that's the fitness industry you know we're all doing the same thing you know all it is is that we maybe have slightly different differing viewpoints on certain things or how we get to the eventual end goal but we're all doing the same thing there's no like there's plenty of ways to skin a cat and it's just about finding the one that works for the client and also as you say, trying to change everything too quickly for me is always a bad idea because it's that's the time that the client then loses their shit and they, everything goes to tits because they, you put in too many changes too quickly and they can't handle it. So small changes making it makes it much easier to to follow. Yeah, small consistent changes with consistency that they do consistently. Exactly. Okay, next question. This is a really good question. So it's from Kathy. She says, how to get the most value for money from tracking strategies, from tracking strategies to move away from it. I imagine it's one of those things where there's diminishing returns in terms of effort and time spent. But every time I've tracked, I obsess over perfection and I, and spend ages weighing every last gram of celery. That's ridiculous, obviously. Um, I know this isn't necessary, but I don't know what the steps are to get a, a reasonable balance between accuracy versus sustainability and efficiency. I really love the way that she's worded this because it's so it resonates so much with me, like how much value for money you're getting or what's the biggest bang for your buck? Because, you know, weighing everything is great for a week or so. It's not, it's not a sustainable thing, nor would I want anyone to have to live like that. But so after that, like how 
what sort of practices do you put in place so that you can move away from tracking and although it might be slightly less accurate like how do you still stay on target or thereabout um for me and a lot of my client base is just routine like i will generally eat the same things if i have four meals a day the first three meals of the day will be generally the same thing every week every day of the week mainly because i know what i'm eating i know what roughly what i'm getting in with everything that i'm doing and then i can play around with my evening meal when that's the one that i'm obviously spending with my other half um and so it means it's a bit more i can make it a bit more interesting but for me for me routine is one of the biggest things you know it's the same with stuff like like things like tracking step count i don't stress too much about step count because i have at the moment i have two big walks a day I'm getting in fifteen thousand steps minimum with those two walks a day. And I don't need to I don't need to count them because I know exactly what I'm doing. So routine, routine, routine for me is generally the way that I would do it. And that'll help you get away from having to aim it like as you say, having to, if you there are many people who will track the shit out of everything and they will do that for years and years and years. And they'll keep doing the same thing. Even though they're eating the same meals. They'll still, still weigh everything. And even though they're really, really good at guesstimating those meals because they already know, like, off the top of their head probably because they've weighed it out so many times. Even if yeah. it's a slightly different meal, you're like, oh, yeah, but these were the ingredients. I'm willing to bet yeah. within a couple of hundred calories, maybe less than that, you could you could guesstimate. Oh, definitely. And I think as you say, you know, as you, going back to the question that we had where you were saying about Amelia having a lot of clients like that are intuitively eating. This is the, the big thing about tracking. Is for me at the start, tracking is a necessity that you need to start seeing what value food is. So what does 100 grams of pasta weigh out as? What does it look like? What does 100 grams of rice look like? You know, and then you can start to, if you start working with them more and more and you start understanding it, you can then start to, you can then start to guess to me, oh, that was, that looks like about 60 grams of white rice going in there. That'll come up to hundred grams once there's water in it, boom, done. And it's, it becomes much easier once you've tracked it, but it's about being confident. Like if you've been tracking for, for, so, for like years, you should be confident in, cause you'll probably get to, you'll be within a couple of grams every time that you weigh something. You'll be, oh, there we go, done. And I, I guess that most people will be able to, within one or two bits of pasta or three or four grains of rice mm-hmm. to the tea without actually having to weigh it because they can they can judge it by a look. You know, a chicken breast generally is what? Do you reckon about 25 grams of protein? 150 yeah, grams? a bit 100, more, yeah. 150-gram breast between 25 and 30 grams, something like that. You know, a, a banana, they're probably averaging at about 100 calories so like a small banana so you know it's just about being confident about these things Mm -hmm. and I also think so there are certain things if you're talking about biggest bang for your buck like I would keep tracking fats doesn't take a hell of a Mm. lot but they're so easy to overeat and they're so easy like a double portion of olive oil or whatever you're barely going to notice but it's going to obviously double the calories and that can equate to quite a lot of calories over time but I would say just, you know, be a bit easier with it. Estimate. If you're finding that you're not losing weight, maybe you're overestimating a bit. So start underestimating a little bit. I would always say that. So when when people are going out for meals, obviously not at the moment, but or even if you're having a family meal, you might, might be like, mm, okay, that is probably going to be roughly, let's say, 500 calories. 
but I'm in a fat loss phase and I kind of want to underestimate it a little bit. So let's call it yeah. 450. And then you're always like erring on the side of caution. I think I think you're right. I think it's one of those ones that everybody everybody does overestimate. It's the same thing as if you ask somebody to go and measure out 100 calories of peanut butter, somebody's going to come out with like a fucking wooden spoonful of tea, peanut butter. Yeah. You're going, yeah. I see That's if you were to cut that. Like, yeah, <laughs> you've virtually got a jar of peanut butter on there. Calm yourself. But if you have been tracking and you've been routinely tracking – become try to be a bit more confident in your own abilities about guesstimating weights it's a it's you know this is the time where you you've got the chance to take it into your own hands and start to 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 get to start taking tracking maybe out of it you know Mm -hmm. or not being as anal with tracking um try it you know there's no reason why you can't try it and if it doesn't work for you you go back to what you were doing so yeah well that's exactly what i was going to say like try it if if you end up putting on a bit of weight then you know you've not got it quite right either yep. lower your estimations or maybe start tracking again and just see where things have been adding as have been creeping in so that would be my advice for that um and that is uh all, well, okay we have one last question which is a really simple one so um she's it's basically about the there's a workout where you do 60 press-ups and 60 burpees well well 60 of many exercises but let's just say it's 60 press-ups before you move on Yep. And the question is, does it matter if I do like three sets of 20 or would it have to be 60 in a row? It's absolutely fine to do three sets of 20, but you have to do them before you move on is the point of that workout. I don't expect yeah. anyone to be doing like smashing out 60 press-ups in a row. Why not? Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe one or two of like the, the elite. I'd, I'd get the 60 you know. push-ups done, but the 60 burpees, they'd be done one at a time. That'd be at least <laughs> Over the course hour, of six burpee. weeks. At six weeks, I did 60 burpees. Yes. That could um, be a new challenge, the six-week 60 burpee challenge. Oh, yeah, it sounds really great. Nah. <laughs> okay, so just to finish off, I do want to mention the Fitness Unfiltered Conference, which is this weekend. We have our very own Hannah opening the conference, which is very exciting. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, they are a £20 donation to UNICEF. You can do that at fitnessunfiltered.co.uk. And I hope that everyone will tune in. The other thing is that we've been keeping kind of quiet, but probably we should talk about more, is that everything will be live, obviously, but then available for a week. So you can watch back if you loved it or you can um, watch it later if you're really busy on the weekend or it's too much to cram in all at once so please do sign up for that we've raised like seven and a half thousand pounds at the moment for charity which is amazing and we'd love to try and get close to 10 but also even if you're just doing it from the point of view of it sounds really interesting it the lineup is incredible You'd be paying thousands of pounds to see these people. So do take advantage of that. Awesome. Right. Thank you for your time, Andy. And it's so nice to have you back. It's good to be back.